Hello and welcome back to Football by the Numbers. My name is John. Thank you for joining me. First off, I have an apology. We have been slacking. We have been slacking on you, our loyal listeners and our loyal viewers. I sincerely apologize to all of you who listen to us on a regular basis. I was on vacation for three weeks. I spent two weeks in Florida and one week in Denver, Colorado, watching my in-laws get married. Congratulations to you guys, Hannah and Omar. I hope you live a long and happy and healthy life. It was a fun wedding. It was a fun vacation, but I'm ready to get back into grind time. My two co-hosts are not here. They allegedly filmed some videos for you, but we were unable to get them adequately trained and equipped to edit those. So... We might have those in a later episode, in a later update for you, but that's not what I'm here to talk to you about today. I am here today to talk to you all about the Bundesliga. Not only the Bundesliga, I am going to talk to you about the German Super Cup. Now, the German Super Cup is, at the time of recording, a day past. I recorded two episodes yesterday, and of course, the video, and I had a bunch of technical difficulties. Who cares? We're here. We're more well-prepared. We're better equipped. I'm going to give you my Bundesliga predictions. I'm going to give you top six, seven teams, and who I think is going to get relegated, as well as one player to watch from each of those top seven teams. Let's dive into this. Let's start off by talking about the DFL Super Cup. Now, the Super Cup is played between the league leaders, the league winners from last year, which is Bayern Munich, led by coach Hansi Flick, and the German Cup winners of last year, that being Dortmund. Dortmund beat Leipzig in the German Cup last year in the finals. Bayern lined up with the same lineup as they did against Gladbach. Dortmund, I didn't watch their game against Frankfurt, so I'm not sure how they lined up. I assume it was something pretty similar to what they put out considering the litany of injuries they had. Dortmund's defense was yikes. They had Axel Witzel, who's a center defensive midfielder, and he can do some defensive duties next to Akanji, Nico Schultz, and Felix Poslock in defense. Woof. Let me list off some of these injuries that we have. Rafael Guerrero, one of the best attacking fullbacks in the world. Mats Hummels, probably the best German defender there is. Torgen Hazard, Julian Brandt, Thomas Monier, both had COVID. Dan Axel Zagadou, Marcel Schmelzer, and Emre Chan all injured all out of this clash but so they were down to some bare bones they had a good lineup out there but Bayern came out pretty much full strength we didn't have a couple of players who were injured we didn't see Cuisance on the bench hopefully that means he's on his way out but I'm not going to keep my fingers crossed as we watch the game it was a wonderful game to be played but it was sloppy it was a little bit of slop ball there were a lot of missed chances by both teams a lot of mistakes and neither team really in the first half could deal with the press the wingers for Bayern looked like crap until Nabry kind of grew into the game a little bit and tossed up a cross, which Lewandowski headed home in about the 40th minute. Man, what a thing of beauty that was. Past Gregor Kobel, the new goalkeeper for Dortmund from VFB Stuttgart. It was an amazing chance, and there was no way that Kobel could have stopped that. It was an amazing header. A lot of early chances and mistakes not capitalized on by, by Dortmund and Bayern, but mostly by Bayern in that early first 10 or 15 minutes. Dortmund really picked up the pressure and showed that they can really get it going. And that first goal by Bayern really kind of broke their morale, but they came out swinging in the second half for sure. The second goal, an easy tap in by Thomas Muller, assisted by Robert Lewandowski, kind of broke their spirits a little bit, but Royce did claw one back with an excellent outside of the box shot it was a wonderful curler it happened because Kimmich was inside the box 
of Bayern Munich, and he wasn't properly marking Royce. So there were a couple of players outside the box that were open and free, and Royce really took his chance well. Up in the top corner, past Manuel Neuer, he couldn't really get to it. But then Tolisso comes on, and what an instant impact Tolisso has. Tolisso pressures... Manuel Kanji, the Swiss defender for Dortmund, and he gets a steal and passes it shrewdly to Robert Lewandowski, who slides it easily home past Gregor Kobel. You know he's the best striker in the world, better than Erling Holland. Erling Holland is still getting better. Lewandowski aging like fine wine. Holland was locked down. The two big changes that Bayern made against Dortmund, one, we switched Sula and Upamecano. So Upamecano played at left center back, Zula played at right center back. And this was a little bit more of Nagelsmann ball, that nag ball that I like to call it. it we show we got a creative way to shut down Erling Holland. Now, Erling Holland is a behemoth. When he's running at you and has a lot of open space, he is fast. He is six foot four. He has a big frame, and he is going to charge you down. He knows how to score with both feet. He can create, as we saw last year, with 46 goals and 12 assists leading to 58 goal involvements last year in all competitions. And we got to see him locked down, where Sula would body him up, and we saw an early foul and an early yellow card, I believe it was in about the 23rd minute, that these guys are going to go toe-to-toe. And if Zula couldn't lock him down, he at least push him out to where Upamecano or Davies with their recovery pace could really clean up and get the ball away from him. It was a really, really clever way of locking down Erling Holland, And we saw that he was locked down from minute one to minute 90. So excellent job, Julian Nagelsmann. Neuer is an absolute wall. His denial of the Marco Royce chance in the 20th minute. Go watch that highlight again. That leg out, just the reflexes that this man has at 35, 36 years old are better than my brand new kitten that I just got at home. He is an absolute fiend in goal. I don't. I know we just bought Alexander Nubel from Schalke a couple of years ago, but how does this guy even get a break when Neuer is still performing this well. Goat keeper for sure. Let's talk about Julian Nagelsmann, the new coach for FC Bayern. This was a big win for him for a few different reasons. One, he hasn't gotten a win with Bayern yet. That's preseason. That's with the first game against Mönchengladbach that we drew. There's a lot of losses and a couple of draws that have come from those. Number two, Dortmund is kind of a bogey team for him. Dortmund has really, really been a a thorn in his side for as long as he's been at the Bundesliga with Hoffenheim and with RB Leipzig, as you can see in May when they lost the Pokal final against Dortmund. Number three, it's his first piece of silverware he's ever earned as a coach. Now, this is still kind of a preseason game, even though the season's kind of started already. It is kind of a, a place where you can test yourself against the highest competition, but he still hasn't won a single piece of silverware at all three of the clubs that he's been at until now, and this is a big piece of silverware for him. I'm happy for him. I'm proud of him. And Bayern deserved to win this game. The statistics showed after the game, Bayern had about 2.46 expected goals to Dortmund's 1.04. So it was a deserved result. Bayern defended very well. They absorbed the pressure of Dortmund. They looked like at some points they couldn't really get out of their own half, but they played well. They pressured Dortmund a lot, and we got a couple of goals off of it. Now let's switch gears into talking about the Bundesliga. Now there were some changes in the Bundesliga, and this is why this is going to be the most exciting league to watch this year, even more than the Premier League. People can say the Premier League is the best league. Yeah, fair play. That leaves the Bundesliga at at least second, if not the most entertaining league. We had a lot of coaching switch-ups during the offseason here. Over the summer, Bayern paid 25 million euros 
for Julian Nagelsmann to become their head coach. Now, that is a world record transfer fee for a coach and his assistants. He's tactically astute. He's tactically versatile. He is going to bring in some new creativity to the pitch. He's already said he's going to play very well with the old veterans. He's going to bring in some youth talent. He's very good at developing some youth talent. So we could see some Chris Richards. We could see some Torben Ryan. We could see a lot of good players in there coming through from our youth academy. We're already seeing Josef Stanisic on the field as our starting right back. And he's he looks solid overall, but he doesn't excel at one single thing. But he looks better than Pavard might on the right-hand side going forward. He looks better than Bonasar pretty much at everything. So he might have ended our right-back search for the moment. So it's good to see that Bayern's finally bringing some youth academy players through. But let me get back into these coaches. There were a lot of coaching switches. So we already talked about Nagelsmann coming from Leipzig going to Bayern. So who comes in at Leipzig? Jesse Marsh from Red Bull Salzburg. Red Bull Salzburg, of course, part of the energy drink empire, part of the energy drink PepsiCo clubs owned by them, consisting of Leipzig, Salzburg, the New York Red Bulls in America, and a couple of other RB clubs around the world, although RB technically stands for Rosenball Sport. We're going to call it Red Bull. Jesse Marsh goes into Leipzig from Salzburg. Who else switched clubs? Marco Rosa went to Dortmund from Gladbach. In the middle of the season last year, he said, yeah, I'm going to take that Dortmund job. And that's when we saw Gladbach almost completely collapse. That ruined their season. They just straight up weren't having a good time anymore. Gladbach lost their coach. Who goes to Gladbach? Adi Hutter from Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Who, did, who does their coach come? They get Glasner from Wolfsburg. Who does Wolfsburg get? They get Mark van Bommel, the old defender from FC Bayern Munich. He came from the United Arab Emirates. Who else is in there? Gerardo Serawane. I think that's how you say his name. He goes to Leverkusen from the Young Boys. Every one of these top clubs pretty much has had a manager switch up in the offseason. So we are going to get some completely new football. So what should you guys expect? What do I predict to come from this season? Let's get into it right now. Let's talk about this. Number one, who do I think is going to win? Who do we think, guys? Come on. FC Bayern Munich, FC Bayern München, they're going to do a decade of dominance. They're going to win their 10th straight title here. I think they could go on and win the treble. PSG's looking pretty frightening. Man City's looking pretty frightening. I think we look pretty frightening, too. I think our team has what it takes to win the Champions League and win the Pokal again. But let's get into it. Why is Bayern going to be number one? Now, this is not going to be a walk in the park. This isn't going to be like a Hansi Flick takeover where it goes all smooth. This isn't going to be a Jupp Heynckes where he's come back and saved our butts. This is going to be a very hard season. We lost a lot of key members last year, especially our two core defenders. David Alaba went for free to Real Madrid last year. Jerome Boateng left for free and hasn't gotten any offers. I wish Bayern would re-sign him for a very cheap contract just so we have him as a depth player and as a leader in the locker room. I think he deserves a lot more than being without a club right now. We also see right backs of Stanisic, Pavard, and Sarr. There's no real extreme standout person in there, but Stanisic looks, looks to get the starting role so far because Pavard is injured and Sarr sucks. There's no net improvement made at Bayern. Luckily, there isn't a whole lot of net improvement made elsewhere either because the departures kind of outweigh the signings at pretty much all of these top seven clubs. With Sabitzer, the deal is close to being done. Ali Khan, Herbert Heiner, CEO, 
and president of Bayern Munich, get this signing done. I know you have the funds. It's super cheap. He's an outstanding player. He's going to leave for free next year, and we have a lot bigger risk of losing him. Why don't we just go on the cheap, grab him as a depth signing? He's played with Julian Nagelsmann before. Not only that, but he was Julian Nagelsmann, our new coach's go-to guy at RB Leipzig. Why not bring him in? Why not see what he can do? Why not have him rotate in with Muller and Goretzka and Kibbe? So the one to watch, obviously for most of these, I'm going to say the one to watch is going to be the coach, especially Julian Nagelsmann. We've seen what he can do at Hoffenheim, at Leipzig. Let's see what he can do at Bayern. This is the perfect job for him. He grew up very close to Bayern. I'd like to see him be pretty formationally fluid, going from the three at the back, maybe four at the back, like we have been doing in the traditional 4-2-3-1, playing that gig and pressing style. But I want to see him incorporate his own little brand of football. We saw that more in the Super Cup. In the Gladbach game, we looked kind of rigid. We looked like we were shaking off some rust. Now, the one player I want to talk about here that we need to watch for Bayern Munich is Leroy Sané. The reason I want to talk about Leroy Sané is because I think this guy gets a lot of undeserved stick. Maybe he deserves some of the stick that he's getting, but I'm going to go through some of these stats and talk about why I think he's still a good player. Shots total, he averages about 2.95 for game, so that puts him in the top 8% of attacking midfielders and wingers. He averages 0.33 assists per game, which is in the top 9% of expected assists per game of 0.27. That's in the top 10%. Dribbles completed per game, 3.85. That puts him in the top 5% of wingers and touches in the penalty area. He averages about 6.6, which puts him in the top 12% of wingers. Progressive passes received. This is more a statement on Kimmich than on him because Kimmich is our midfield maestro, but he averages about 10 progressive passes received. That means passes that have traveled traveled more than 10 yards to reach him as the intended target. He averages in the top 5%, so positionally, he's very aware. He's a very good player, but people say that he had a crap season last year. I give him a little leeway because he was coming off of an, an ACL injury that he got in the Community Shield with Manchester City. This was his first time back in Germany adjusting to a new club, kind of getting used to the play style. We have a manager change. He's got Kimmich barking at him, had Flick barking at him to play more defensively and kind of contribute defensively instead of just sitting forward. But let's get into this. Is Leroy Sané really performing worse than he did at Manchester City? Now, if we look at the basic goal outputs, yes. 10 goals in the last two seasons he played at in Manchester City. So that's 17-18, the Centurion team, and the 18-19 team. Both of those teams won a title. So he scored 10 goals both of those seasons and only six last year with Bayern. But if we look at the expected goal output in 2017-18, the Centurion season, his expected goal output was only 5.7. So he really went above and beyond beating that total by 4.3. And in 2018-19, the same year they won the title, or the next year they won the back-to-back title, he got 5.6 expected goals. Now, if we compare that to 2020-2021, 5.6 expected goals, the same thing. So he did overperform at Manchester City, beating those expected goal numbers by about 4, 4.5, where he only beat that by about 0.4.5 this year at Bayern. So, as far as the expected numbers are concerned and how he's taking his shots, he is averaging about the same as he was when he was playing at his peak at Manchester City. I think he was playing on the left-hand side at Manchester City, which we could get into that a little bit later, but we're not going to get into that. As far as expected goals and expected assists go, he's performing at about the exact same level as he was in 17-18 and 18-19. He just finished a little better 
in those seasons. And, I mean, those were two incredible Manchester City teams. The Centurions had the highest point total of any Premier League side ever. So how can you blame him? Our team is very good, but that's incomparable almost. Moving on to assists. Expected assists for 2017-18, he had eight, but he had 15 in that season. So he beat that number by seven. Now that could go down to City's incredible finishing that year. If you're playing 38 games, you have to win at least 33 of those and draw one of those. So that leaves four losses. The statistics I'm looking at right here, he played about 27 of those matches. So the the finishing from that team was absolutely incredible. For him to beat that number by 7, when his expected assists is only 8, and he has 15 assists, that's just wonderful. That speaks more to his team than it does about him. 18-19, City won the title again. He averaged about 6.6 expected assists. What did he average last year? 6.4. That year, he beat his assists by 3.4. So that output statistically is still about the same as it was the last year he was at City that he actually played. However, he got nine assists compared to the 10 assists in his last year at City. So his output, his creative output is still there. The dribbling ability is still there. He just needs to work on finishing a little bit better, work on his decision making because his decision making isn't there. It's a different league. It's a different play style from Manchester City. So I believe he'll get there. I think he's the one to watch for Bayern. Moving on to Borussia Dortmund. They're going to be number two this year. I'm just going to go in order here. So number one, we have Bayern. It's number two, always the runner-up, Borussia Dortmund. I think this is the year that they're going to really, really push Bayern until the last match week. We need to watch what Hazard, what Royce, and what Holland are going to do up front. And you can mix Brandt in there. You can mix Danielle Malin up there, their new signing from PSV Eindhoven. They did get rid of Jaden Sancho, which is a huge loss, when he was putting a double-double up of goals and assists every single year. That is a big loss, especially at how young he was. We see Royce in good form after this game. Holland is going to come out swinging, as he always does, the second-best striker to Lewandowski. Uh, And I say that with facts. Lewandowski last year had, across all competitions, 59 goal involvements. That's 50 goals and 9 assists. Whereas Holland had 46 goals, 12 assists. That's 58 goal involvements. In the entire world, that's number 1 and number 2 in goal involvements. You still got Hummels, who I think is the best German defender right now. A little old, he's a little aged, but with age comes experience. He's got some nuggets of wisdom, and he still plays with those as well. You see how out of form Dortmund are especially on set pieces with Mats Hummels not there his leadership and his defensive acumen really went missing in that Super Cup Rafael Guerrero also one of the best offensive fullbacks Nico Schultz did not look good on that left hand side compared to Rafael Guerrero Rafael Guerrero's numbers were incredible he's not my one to watch but he is an incredibly talented player for Borussia Dortmund let's look at these numbers here so Versus fullbacks, we have non-penalty goals. He's in the 96th percentile with .19. Non-penalty expected goals at .16. He's in the top 2%. Shots total, 1.34 per game. Of all fullbacks, that puts him in the top 6%. Assists per game, he's in the top 2% with .31. Expected assists, he's at .23 with not in the top 4%. Non-expected Non-penalty expected goals plus assists. He's at .39, which puts him in the top 2% of all fullbacks. Shot creating actions with three. Three from left back. That puts him in the top 5% of all fullbacks. 
passes attempted per game, 86. That puts him in the top 1%. Passes completed with 87%. That puts him in the top 5%. Progressive passes per game, he's at about 8.7. That puts him in the top 1%. Progressive carries, he's at over 10 per game. That puts him at the top 1%. Touches in the attacking penalty area or in the opposition penalty area, he's at 3.6. That's a top 5%. And progressive passes received for a game. That is in the top 9% of fullbacks. So he is incredible. He was very, very missed. The player I went for to watch is their new signing, Donnie Malin. I think Donnie Malin is very versatile. I think he was kind of brought in as the one-for-one replacement for Jaden Sancho. He can play off of that right side. He's very versatile. He can play in a two-striker formation and be a creative force. He's also a goal-scoring force. Let's take a look at his numbers. Non-penalty expected goals per game is 0.6. That puts him in the top 6% of all forwards. Shots total, about 4 per game. 3.9 per game. That puts him in the top 4% of all forwards. Non-penalty expected goals plus assists is 0.73 per game. That's the top 9%. Pass completion rating of 80.6 percent that's the top nine percent of all forwards progressive carries per game is 5.9 that puts him in the top nine percent or the 91st percentile touches in the attacking penalty area 7.8 per game that's in the 96th percentile so he's very very good now at psv eindhoven he did have 19 goals and eight assists across about 27.290 minutes played so that's about a goal contribution per 90 minute equivalent that he played now this was in the air to divisi daniel malin is a perfect fit for this dortmund team but it is a different league i'd be excited to see how well he fits in but if erling holland leaves for 75 80 million euros next year over the summer with his release clause which let's be real of course he is he's a good replacement he's a very creative force makoko also watch makoko yusufa makoko the young 16-year-old who's been lighting it up at every level of Dortmund play, watch him. He's one for the future. He's going to be our one to watch for the next couple of years as well. But those are three players that I just gave you. Rafael Guerrero, Yusofa Makoko, and Daniel Malin to watch. To number three, third place spot, I think it's going to go to RB Leipzig. So their one to watch, of course, is Jesse Marsh. Why do I think that number three is going to be RB Leipzig? Number two last year, I think they're going to drop a spot mainly because of how significant their departures were. Upo Makano, Konate, possibly Marcel Sabitzer. They didn't have a key striker last year and they still got number two, but they did lose their biggest asset, in my opinion, Julian Nagelsmann, who of course went to FC Bayern. But they did have some key arrivals. They brought in Caden Clark, which if you've been watching our videos, we're basically a fan channel for him at this point. They got brought in Josko Gvardiol from Dinamo Zagreb, which if you remember a couple years ago, Danny Almo also came from there, and Bayern Munich were linked with Danny Almo as well. And he has really been lighting it up for for RB Leipzig. I wish I really wish Bayern had gotten him a couple of years ago instead of RB Leipzig. Perhaps we'll be reunited with him. Julian Nagelsmann has indicated that he would like to be reunited with him at some time. Sabitzer could also leave. Their main man, their captain. If he leaves, that is a big, big blow. But they also bring in Mohamed Simikon to kind of offset the Upamakano and Konate leaving. They bring in Josko Gvardiol and Mohamed Simikon from Strasbourg. I think those are two pretty good additions. I think Simicon is ranked to be one of the biggest up-and-coming center backs that there is in France right now. So I'd be excited to watch those two guys. They also brought in Andre Silva. Andre Silva was the 
second top goal scorer in the Bundesliga, even ahead of Erling Holland, of course, behind Lewandowski with his record-breaking season last year. Be on the lookout for Andre Silva. He's only played at one club for two consecutive years one time, and that was Frankfurt last year and the year before. So be on the lookout for him. He is an incredible striker. I think he is going to be one to watch. Non-penalty expected goals, 0.6 per game. That is in the top 6% of strikers. Non-penalty expected goals and assists, 0.77. That puts him in the 92nd percentile of the top 8. Progressive passes received, 10.45. That puts him in the top 6%. He also had the second most goals last year with 28. He also chipped on 7 assists. That makes 35 goal involvements across 30.7 matches. So that's 1.14 goals and assists per game. He also beat his expected goals. Expected goals, he was only supposed to get 24.3 and he got 28. So he beat that number by four. He was only expected to get five and a half assists and he got seven. So he beat that number by one and a half. The one I really want to highlight at RB Leipzig as one for the future and one to watch is Dominic Zoboslai. So if you remember in the winter of last year, RB Leipzig bought Dominic Zoboslai, but unfortunately he got injured. Now that really hurt Hungary and it hurt RB Leipzig. Zoboslai is a set-piece animal. He is a shot-creating monster. If you look at his shot-creating actions, he averages 5.25, which is in the top 4% of all attacking midfielders and wingers. He is a set-piece animal. Like I said, go back and watch his goal, his set-piece goal for Hungary. At like 40 yards out, it was an incredible shot. He does, as an attacking midfielder and a winger, do his defensive duties. He averages about two blocks a game, which is 95th percentile. He averages 1.7 clearances as well in the defensive area, which is in the top 1%. He get, He's a very big lad. He measures at 186 centimeters or six foot one for us Americans. So he wins a lot of aerial duels, 1.5 per game, which is in the 86th percentile. Non-penalty goals as well scored in the last year. He averages about 0.34 Per game as well. That's in the 83rd percentile. Passes attempted as well. 49.4. That's in the 87th percentile. Progressive passes. 4.6 per game. That's in the top 14% of attacking midfielders. I think these numbers are a little understated because he was injured. So make sure to be on the lookout for him. That's number three. RB Leipzig. Number four. We have Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg I think is going to be a very good team this year. Well, they finished fourth last year, and I think they're going to finish fourth again this year. They had a lot of good business, and it was clear they're planning for the future. They brought in Sebastian Bornau, who I believe is 22 from Cologne. They brought in Lucas Nemecha from Manchester City, also an under-21 Euro Cup winner with the under-21 German national team. He scored the game-winning goal in the last match in the final versus Portugal. They also kept major players like Maxence Lacroix, their 21, 22-year-old defender. He and John Brooks look extremely versatile and extremely good at defense, one of the best defensive pairings across the Bundesliga. They have a young defense with Sebastian Borna being brought in. Some of their other defenders are very young as well. They also kept Wout Weghorst, which I don't know how they beat off those Premier League clubs with a stick, but they managed to keep him. They added Max Philippe permanently as well, so they made his loan move permanent. They didn't lose any key players other than Jeffrey Bruma, their center back, which isn't a big loss. Kobe Hernandez Foster, major key. This is a young left back. He's going to solve America's persistent 
left back problem. Watch out for him. He's a very young chap, about 18, 19 years old. The one I think you should watch this year, if he gets any playing time, is Ostervranch. Now, I don't have any statistics because I couldn't get any for the Belgian league. He came from a team called Mechelen or something like that. He's an 18-year-old center midfield, which is where Wolfsburg really needed to strengthen. He's two-footed. He's very versatile. He adds to the dynamism and support for Xavier Schlager, Max Arnold, and Joshua Gilavogi, and Gerhardt, Yannick Gerhardt, in their midfield. They really needed some midfield support, and I think Astervranch is a perfect player to be taken under their wing and be a box-to-box guy to help out with that. Be on the lookout for him next year. Number five, we have Leverkusen. Now, why I think they're going to be number five and not in those Champions League top four spots is because of their big loss in Leon Bailey. Now, that hurts at only 24. The Jamaican did make a big money transfer, about $39 million, to Aston Villa, which I think he'll get on very well there. They made some good moves this year. Stay tuned for our next episode, by the way, which we're going to be talking about the Premier League and our Premier League predictions and one to watch from each team there. Make sure to leave a like, comment down below what players you think I need to watch and who I didn't mention in this episode. Who do you think is going to be in the top four and the top six, make those Europa League spots? Who's going to get relegated this year? Let me know in the comments down below. Anyway, back to Leverkusen. The loss of Leon Bailey hurts, but Musa Diaby should be an apt replacement. He can dribble extremely well. His passing is the envy of a lot of those wingers across the Bundesliga. He's very quick. He's a very good dribbler. Also, Patrick Schick had an excellent outing in the Euros. Leverkusen's going to be hoping that he can translate that form from the national level back onto the club level. The one to watch, definitely watch their new coach, Gerardo Ceroan. But the one I want to highlight here is Florian Wirtz. The next Kai Havertz, Kai Havertz 2.0, the 17-year-old coming through the Leverkusen Academy on Bayern's watch list already as a potential replacement for Thomas Muller. He is a midfielder and an attacking midfielder named Florian Wirtz, who also won the U21 European Cup with Lucas Nemecha, who is now on Wolfsburg. This is his first full Bundesliga season this year. Last year, he didn't play a full season, but he still put up some crazy numbers. Let's go through this. He's in the top 5% or top 6 We'll just go, we'll call it the top 6%. He's in the top 6% with... Non-penalty goals with .24 as a mid, and this is all for midfielders, not attacking midfielders and wingers. For all midfielders, he's in the top 6% for non-penalty goals with .24 a game, non-penalty expected goals with .17 a game, assists with .27 a game, expected assists with .19 a game, non-penalty expected goals plus assists with .36 a game, shot creating actions with 3.7 a game, dribbles completed with 2.64 is in the top 2%, touches in the attacking penalty area with 3.5 per game, progressive passes received with 8 per game. That Those are some incredible numbers. He only played 24.7 matches last year. He scored 5 and assisted 6 from the midfield. 4.4 expected goals and 4.6 expected assists. So he really beat that expected assist number by about one and a half and he was about right on target for that expected goals number. So watch out for him, especially in the years to come at 17, already premiering for one of the top Bundesliga clubs. You know this guy's going to be on fire just like Kai Havertz was. I hope to see him in the right red one day. Boom. FC Bayern Munich. Now number six, I went with two different teams. This was a tough one 
for me to decide what to go. So I went with both. I went with Gladbach or VfB Stuttgart. I think Stuttgart, if you remember two years ago, they were in the Bundesliga too. Last year, they achieved promotion, promotion and they shot up to number seven. Big losses in Nico Gonzalez and Gregor Kobo. Nico Gonzalez went to Fiorentina in the Italian league. Gregor Kobo went to Borussia Dortmund. Florian Muller from Mainz, he had a good loan spell at Freiburg last year. He's only 23. He's a good goalkeeper. You can tell they're playing for the future with that one. As good as he is right now, he can start for him and definitely make some good saves. The defense he's going to be walking into is better than the one at Freiburg, better than the one at, at Mainz as well. So he's going to be walking into a good scenario. I also think that Wamangi Tuka can fire off some goals from the wing. That's Silas Wamangi Tuka from the Democratic Republic of Congo. He's also a very quick striker, so I'd be one to look out for him. Sasha Kalajic had a very good breakout season. Non-penalty goals, he averaged .67 last year. He's a six foot seven striker as well, standing exactly two meters tall. So that's about six six and a half. He also wins about 4.55 aerial duels per game. That's in the top 10% as well. So he's a very huge target man. Last year, he had 16 goals and five assists in 23.7 matches played. So he averaged about a goal involvement per game. Gladbach, we saw a good performance from them against Bayern Munich as well. I'd be on the lookout for them to get into one of those Europa League spots as well. They kept some key players like Zakaria, Neuhaus, and Lars Stindl. Lars Stindl had an excellent assist against Bayern Munich as well to Alisson Plea, who scored the goal against Bayern. They also added Luka Netz, the 18-year-old left back from Hertha. That's definitely one for the future. He's an up-and-coming young talent. I think he's going to turn out to be a very good player as well. Adi Hütter was added to Gladbach, as we talked about earlier, the new coach. So his leadership and his finesse will improve Gladbach from last year from their eighth place position. But with Zakaria wanting to leave and Adi Hütter coming in as a brand new coach, Neuhaus is also rumored to be leaving next year. I think they might have more of a vision on the door than they do on this coming season. So that is my top six slash seven predictions. What did you guys think? Did I get it right? Did I get it wrong? Did I get the teams right? But did I get the order wrong? Let me know in the comments down below. Finally, I want to conclude this by talking about the three teams that I think are going to go down. I think it's pretty easy. You know, they say three up, three down. I think uh, Armenia Bielefeld is going to be in 16th place in that playoff spot. Depending on who they play this year, I think they might lose and go down. They didn't score enough last year. They averaged less than a goal a game scored last year. They had a great defense, but great defense just does not win you games. It can help salvage games, but you need some offense to be firing. And with their loss of Ritsu Doan going back to PSV, I just don't think they're going to make it this year. The other two, I think, VFL Bochum. I think they just aren't going to punch above their weight this year, unfortunately. I think they're going to go back down in 17th place. And in 18th place, Greutherford, they've only had one campaign in the top league so far, and it didn't end that well. I think they only accumulated 21 points over the whole season. I don't think it's going to be that bad, but you saw their outing this week. A 5-1 loss. That just ain't it. It ain't going to happen. Against Stuttgart, too. A 5-1 loss. Imagine what happens when they play the real champs. Thank you guys once again so much for listening. Thank you for being so patient with us while we get our collective stuff together and we get back on track. We promise, we promise, we promise we will be more consistent about uploading episodes from now on. We've got some amazing content coming to you. We've got some new intro graphics potentially coming here very soon. 
But stay tuned for all of that. Thank you guys on Spotify, of course, for listening. Make sure to follow us. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to keep tuning in for all of these good, delicious football contents. Thank you once again, guys. We are Football by the Numbers.